0: What's up, Movement Church Man? I'm so glad that you tuned in and I hope you had an absolutely amazing Thanksgiving. Hopefully you're still kind of on a tryptophan overdose and had tons of turkey or stuffing or sweet potato casserole or green bean casserole, pumpkin pie, pecan pie, or if your normal pecan pie. I hope you had a great time. It's so glad to have you tuning in and and most importantly, I hope you had a, a, got, got to spend some time with some people that really matter most to you during this holiday season, and man, I'm excited to share a few thoughts with you and uh, and really kind of what I think God wants to speak to us collectively as a church, and and I just want to challenge you to make continue leaning in as we step into these next few weeks that are going to be different for us, and man, if you weren't at Movement Night last week, man, we missed you tremendously. God did some amazing things, but we also, unpacked our heart, our being, mine and my wife Megan and the Movement Church leadership. We unpacked our heart for the weeks to come as we plan to continue meeting uh, ongoing in person and online and having options for everybody who's tuning in but I want you to hear my heart on that. So do me a favor, scoot over to our app or visit our website at some point this week and watch that. I'm gonna unpack our heart for the future and you need to know kind of what God's doing and what he's speaking to us and, and what he's saying to us. And I need you to know too that as church leadership, Megan and I, we took time to pray and really consider what God wanted to do over the next few weeks and months as we continue to bring hope to people who need to find hope and to encourage you in your journey journey of faith, no matter where you are in your journey of faith, because we believe that the church is essential. Can I get an amen? We believe the church is essential. And I want to tell you this too. Next week is a big week for our church. So if you call the Movement Church home, I want to encourage you, make sure you find a pop-up location or tune in online because we're going to take up our Heart for the House offering. And Every year we do an initiative like this where we give people an opportunity to give over and above their regular tithes and offerings as we lean into what God wants to do in and through us. See, we're taking aggressive steps towards the future. We're not allowing a pandemic or the craziness of 2020 to hold us back or to keep us from accomplishing the mission that God has put before us. We have a mission to inspire the one who's far from God to find life in Christ and life in the church. And we want to see 27,000 people say yes to Jesus. 14,000 people find mission and plugged into the local church and a church home for everyone, specifically in the 17 cities of South Orange County. And I want to give you an opportunity to invest in that future. So make sure you tune in next week. But right now, today, this week, you and your family can be praying about what God would have you do as we give towards these three initiatives. Initiative number one, which is a permanent facility for the movement church to call home. Initiative number two is an excellent launch of a church campus uh, where we can funnel funds into that and really see God do something amazing. And the third initiative is Hope Haven, which is our, our, our desire to make an impact in the foster community and the foster crisis right here in Orange County. And you get to be a part of that. So I want you to pray about, we would never ask you to give. We would always ask you to pray about what God would have you do and then just be obedient. And I believe God will use what you can do and what I can do collaboratively to make amazing and a miraculous impact. I wanna to preach to you today as we continue with our series on Heart for the House. And I believe this message really is just for you. You right there, the one that's tuning in and leaning in and hold your phone or maybe watching YouTube at your house or wherever you're tuning in. And I wanna just challenge you right now to let God speak to each of us I think he wants to do some healing and some mending of broken and hurting hearts. And if we'll lean in, I believe you'll see God do the miraculous. Would you do me a favor right where you're at? Just bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna pray for us. God, I just thank you that you're doing the miraculous right now. I thank you that you love us just as we are, but God, you care too much to let us stay that way. God, I know that you don't want us to live in a, a, a moments of hurt and grief and pain, but you want us to experience hope and healing and freedom. So today, God, I pray that as we lean into you, you would lean into us and you would help us to see the very nuances and the essence of what you're trying to speak to each of us as individuals. And God, I just thank you that you're doing that work right here, right now. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen, and that just means I agree. Well, we're in week three of our series called Heart for the House. If you miss week one, this extremely good-looking preacher, brought an amazing message about how it's more important that our heart is surrendered to God than it is to look like we have the appearance of surrender. And last week, my wife dropped some serious bombs when it comes to a heart for his house and and what it means to build a home, our personal homes on the foundation of the truth of God's word and to be connected to and plugged into the body of Christ, a local church, so that God can do amazing things in and through us. But today I want to take a moment and dig a little deeper. I want to talk about the signs of an unhealthy heart. You see, if we have an unhealthy heart, we'll have an unhealthy home. Let me say that again. If we have an unhealthy heart, we'll have an unhealthy home. Now, I'm not talking about physically, uh, physically, physically fit. I don't know why I'm saying these things. I'm not talking about a physical condition of our heart. I'm talking about the spiritual and emotional conditions of our heart. And I want to talk to you about a few different components or signs of an unhealthy heart. Here's what I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to lean in and be introspective. Don't listen for your husband or your friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your children or your mom or your dad, but today listen and lean in and ask God to reveal to you exactly what he wants to speak to you today, the signs of an unhealthy heart. The first sign of an unhealthy heart is a cynical heart. And as I was writing this message, I was like, oh, this one cuts pretty deep. I'm I'm really good. In fact, I think sometimes I have a spiritual gift mix of being cynical. Can I get an amen from some cynical people out there? I'm really good at being suspicious. In fact, being cynical means to be overly skeptical and sneeringly distrustful. That's a good word, sneeringly. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Sneeringly distrustful, listen, of the motives of others to be contemptuous or pessimistic. How many people watching today, and I want you to be honest, even if you're by yourself, I want you to raise your hand if this is you. How many of you are really good at being pessimistic? Raise your hand right now. Listen, I married the most optimistic of individuals, which gives me freedom to be very pessimistic. It causes a lot of problems in our home. But listen, some of us have become so good at being cynical that it actually stunts the growth of what God wants to do in our life. I heard it said once that if you scratch a cynic, you'll find a disappointed idealist. And I believe that to be true. In fact, I believe that to be true in my own life. I found that when I'm most cynical, it usually is reflective of times where I've become most disappointed. If you scratch a cynic, you'll find a disappointed idealist. And I believe that because for some of us, frustration breeds cynicism. Let me say that again. I think that for most of us, frustration breeds cynicism. In fact, it's easier to become a cynic. It's easier to be a cynic because you don't have to care about anything at all. When you're cynical, when you live a life of cynicism, when you have a cynical heart, you don't have to care about anything at all. A cynic can go through life without any emotional attachment to anything like a robot goes about its own business. I don't know what that was. That was like limited motion. My jacket's too tight and my shoulders, but still that was was my variation of the robot. That's about it. My belly's jiggling. It's kind of painful. I'm gonna move on. But it's easy for us to be cynical and to go about life without any emotional attachment to anything. The reason is because caring about things can hurt the more we care, the more we are susceptible to being hurt. Especially if you throw your whole heart at an endeavor or into a relationship or into dreams for the future. And getting hurt sucks. There's no two ways about it. Getting hurt is not painful. It is not fun. And then when we get hurt, we throw up walls to protect ourselves. When we get hurt, Too much or experience too much rejection, we throw up walls to protect ourselves, and cynicism is a form, or at least one form, that these walls can take. I just tell you an an unhealthy heart is a cynical heart. And I don't know, for those of you that are watching that struggle with this right now, I'm not trying to point any fingers. The Holy Spirit does a great job of illuminating the things that we need to change. And if you're watching today and you might suffer from a cynical heart, do you know what the cure is? The cure is a hopeful heart. Turn to somebody next to you and say, a hopeful heart. Shake somebody that's in that room with you right now and say, a hopeful heart. The challenge is that hope works against itself when we hope in an outcome. Hope can work against itself when we hope in an outcome. Look at the scripture in Psalm 33 verse 13. It says this, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. In other words, his perspective from heaven is better than our perspective. When you look at a map, you need more than just the destination of where you're going. You need to zoom out and see how to get from where you are to where you're going. And when God looks at us and he looks at our life from heaven, he sees a zoomed out perspective. Look at verse 14. It says, from where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, And I think the key word there is he is enthroned. He sits on the throne. He is in control. He is sovereign. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at every moment. He has a heavenly perspective of your life. Look at verse 15. He who fashions the hearts of man all, of the, he who fashions the heart of all, my goodness, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes their deeds. In other words, he created your your beating heart and he wants the best for it. Let me say that again. He sits in heaven on a throne and he created your beating heart and he wants the best for you. The psalmist is painting a picture. He's setting us up to challenge the way that you and I look at life sometimes. Look at verse 16, it says this. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. In other words, he's saying, if my hope is in my war horse, I've never had a war horse. I would like to own a war horse one day. I don't want to take care of it. I would just like to say, yeah, that's my war horse. But if my hope is in my war horse and in the middle of the battle, my war horse dies, then it's over. The battle is over because my hope is in The horse, you got to be careful in how you say that. My hope is in the horse. Listen, I want my war horse to ride to victory and take me to the thrones of success. But if he dies, I'm going to get up and keep fighting. Why? Because my hope cannot be in the horse. Are you tracking with me, my friends? Look at what the psalmist says in verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope in his steadfast Love. Look at this, verse 19. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine in the midst of COVID 19. Even when it seems like financial crisis will overwhelm them, even when it feels like all hope is lost, he will keep them alive in the midst of famine. Verse 20 Our soul waits on the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Not the horse, not the chariots, not the army. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts, heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name not the holy name of the economy not the holy name of my career not the holy name of my relationships but i trust in his holy name let your steadfast love o oh lord be upon us even as we hope in you listen hope for an outcome is a necessity of life Let me say that again. Hope for an outcome is a necessity of life. God is the giver of dreams. He wants us to dream big dreams. God is the giver of desires. He wants us to to desire great things, but our hope is for them, not in them. When our hope is in an outcome, rather than for an outcome, we set ourselves up for disaster. When my hope is in the one who is seated on the throne, who created my beating heart, who has a zoomed out perspective of where I am and more importantly, where I'm going. Listen, he doesn't lose, which means I can't lose. So my hope is in him, not in an outcome. I hope for an outcome, but not in the outcome. I hope in the Lord and he will never let me down. He can't lose which means I can't lose. Some of you with the cynical heart, I wanna challenge you today, it's time to hope again. Can I just suggest that perhaps some of you with the unhealthy cynical heart, perhaps December is the month to take hope for a test drive. Perhaps December is the month for you to begin to hope again. We're talking about the signs of an unhealthy heart. And a cynical heart is one. A second is the offended heart. Somebody say the offended heart. Do you know somebody or have someone in your world that every time you're around them, you gotta walk on eggshells? You know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. If you know somebody gotta walk on eggshells around them, raise your hand right now. If your hand ain't up, you is that person. Listen, we, we all know somebody like that. My sleeves are creeping up like I'm in a 1980s film, like I'm the substitute teacher right now, I gotta pull those down. All of us know somebody who we have to walk on eggshells around and it is the most annoying thing in the world. And we do this because we're so afraid that anything we say or do could set them off or cause them to go into a spiral of discouragement or frustration, all because they are easily offended. I'll never forget one time a few years back, in fact, many years ago in many states ago, I walked into my place of business. I won't say where I was because somebody watching may know who I'm talking about. And I, I walked in and one of my coworkers was there and I, I looked at this individual and I, I said, her, name. Hey, you look great. Like you're losing weight. And she looked at me with this face of frustration and anger. And I'm like, this is not going to go well. Did I say you look like you're losing weight. That's awesome. And she looked at me with this like face of frustration. She said, are you trying to say that I need to lose weight? And I'm like, what in the world is happening? And I tried to moonwalk out of the scenario and I couldn't. I just shut my mouth and I walked to my office and I closed my door and I thought, my God, I will never compliment you again. You know, when people are easily offended, it says something about what's going on internally. An offended heart is a toxic heart, like a ruptured appendix, offense leaks and how you think, and how you speak, and how you relate with others. We begin to see through the lens of offense. We begin to hear through the lens or the filter Of offense. We begin to interact and speak through the lens or the filter of offense, and then I begin to project my assumptions into every scenario and I manifest disaster, all because I have an offended heart. Or maybe I should say an easily offendable heart. And here's the kicker offense is a choice, offense is a choice. Now listen, being hurt is not a choice, but how you respond to being hurt is entirely up to you. I don't believe, and this might be challenging for some of you to hear, but I don't believe that a Christian has a right to be offended. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm talking to you for a moment. If you're here and you don't know what you believe, permission to belong before you believe, but if you're here and you're watching and you're a follower of Jesus, you said, I've given my life to Christ, then I don't believe you have a right to be offended. I'm not saying you can't feel hurt or rejection or pain. I'm just saying if we look to the example of Jesus on the cross, who was falsely accused, the only human in humanity that is innocent of all wrong or sin is hanging on a cross. And as he's hanging there, looks down on the people who falsely placed him on this cross and he looks to his accusers and he says, and Jesus said in Luke 23, Father, forgive Forgive them, for they know not what they do. If anyone had a right to be offended, it was Jesus. He didn't just die for the sins of the people who put him on the cross. He died for your sins and for mine. He died for the sins of Hitler and every horrible human that has ever graced the earth. He died for them, and he looked at humanity and said, Father, forgive them. He died for you and for me, even though he knew there'd be times in our life where we would turn our back on him and reject him and choose anything but him. And he said, Father, forgive Carrie, because he doesn't even know what he's doing. And I would suggest if you're a follower of Christ, you don't have the right to be offended, which means the cure to an offended heart is a forgiving heart. Forgiveness is not dismissing nor permitting poor behavior. It doesn't mean you have to accept someone when they treat you poorly, but it's choosing to see the best in them and trusting God with the rest. I just wonder, hey, lean in for a minute and look, look at me through the eyes of the lens of the camera, phone, TV you're watching right now. I just wonder what, your Christmas could look like this year if you decided to forgive. I just wonder, I wonder what might be on the other side of your forgiveness. It won't be easy, but a forgiving heart is a healthy heart. The signs of an unhealthy heart are a cynical heart, an offended heart, and lastly, a selfish heart. To be selfish means that I'm devoted to caring only for myself. I'm concerned primarily with my own interests or benefits, welfare, regardless of others. And listen, I I just want to challenge you that all of us have the potential to slide into this. Listen, moms, don't look at your husband and nudge him with your elbow. All of us have the potential to be guilty in this area. How many of you watching are drivers, like you, you currently are driving out there? Probably one of the most frustrating things to me in driving when it comes to problems with my car are when the wheels get out of alignment. It's so frustrating. It's expensive to fix it, and it's a foolish thing. But when you're driving down the street and there is an, a, a misalignment in your vehicle, you're aiming straight, but you're holding the steering wheel just a little bit cockeyed to the side because if you let go, it'll drift to the left towards a curve and you can get that fixed and you can drop some money on it, but it barely takes tapping a curb or hitting a speed bump the wrong way or just a crack in the concrete and the alignment slips out again. And now all over the car's pulling to the left and you have to accommodate with how you drive to keep the car going straight. From the outside, all intents and purposes, the vehicle looks like it's fine, but the alignment is out and little by little, you're wearing out your tires. It's gonna cost more and more to fix if you don't actually deal with the problem. And listen, I wanna tell you, humanity is built towards selfishness. It's a natural bent for us. It doesn't take much to happen in life, and all of a sudden, my life is pulling towards selfishness, like a vehicle out of alignment. You can fool others too. On the outside, everything can look fine and normal, but still have a selfish heart. Listen, a selfless deed done with an ulterior motive is still selfishness. Let me say that again, a selfless deed done with ulterior motives is still selfishness. I don't know if you know this, but our body actually releases oxytocin when we're generous. It releases the drug that gives us this sense of high or euphoria, God created us that way because he knew we needed to be generous and our body releases this drug when we are selfless, when we are generous unless the selfless deed is done with an ulterior motive and our body doesn't release the oxytocin because we can fool others, but we can't fool our own heart. That's why the, the author writes in Proverbs four twenty three, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. The cure to a selfish heart is a generous heart. And a generous heart implies that I'm thinking of myself less and of others more. A generous heart hurts. I know that sounds silly, but a generous heart, it hurts, why? Because generosity implies sacrifice. Generosity means a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. Jesus said this to us in Luke 6. He said, if you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expected to be repaid in full, but love your enemies. That's generosity. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high God. Jesus is saying that through sacrificial generosity, people will know that we're followers of Jesus. It says, then they will know that you are children of the most high God. It's through sacrificial generosity that people realize there's something different about that person, why? Because they don't have to, yet they choose to live selflessly. And if you struggle with a selfish heart, the cure is a generous heart. But I wanna tell you this, a generous heart is also following Christ's example because he gave everything up for you and for me. In fact, the Bible says that God loved the world so much. Why don't we push pause on that scripture and insert your name? I'll do it with mine. For God loved Carrie so much that he gave his only son. That if Carrie would just believe in him, he would have everlasting life. It was the sacrificial generosity of Jesus that paves the way to salvation for you and for me. And somebody watching right now, you haven't experienced that salvation yet. Not church membership, not getting rid of your past, just simply saying yes to who Jesus is. And I want to take a moment right now and pray for you specifically. Some of you watching, you may have accepted the sacrificial generosity of Jesus, but you're living a life contrary to that now. And it's time to come running back to who he is. Would you do me a favor, everyone watching, just close your eyes and bow your heads. If you've never begun this journey with Jesus or maybe it's time to do so again for the first time in a long time, why don't you just make the prayer I'm about to pray your own? Perhaps in a small whisper or the quietness of your own heart, just say these words. Dear God, I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose. I need you, God. Thank you for your sacrificial generosity. Will you forgive me? And now make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com, and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.